0: This is Father Patrick Briscoe. And this is Father Jacob Bertrand Jansen. And welcome to God's Planning. Thanks to all of you who support us. If you enjoy our show, please consider making a monthly donation on Patreon. Be sure to like and subscribe to God's Planning wherever you listen to your podcasts. Well, well, well. I It's been a little while, Father Jacob Bertrand, since we've done an episode together. I was thinking the same
1: thing. It's so good to be back together. <laughs> yeah. Oh.
0: <laughs> <laughs> what Father Jacob Bertrand is saying is. Thank you Father Patrick for generously allowing me and the others to carry the weight of the podcast while you coasted.
1: No, that's not what I'm saying at all. No, it's <laughs> funny. This is earlier this week. This is like breaking the third wall, but like earlier this week I was recording with Father Bonaventure and he was hosting and he said something like, uh, it's a pleasure to have you on with us. And I'm like, "What? What are <laughs> like what are you saying? What do you mean? Like this is our podcast. I'm not your guest." whatever father Bonaventure it's great but no it has been a while and it's funny because like the schedule we try to sort of balance some things but it always kind of ends up lumping together so like either I do a handful with father Gregory and then a handful with father Joseph Anthony and then feel like we neglect our podcast relationship but here we are
0: back in the saddle just like old times when we were young <laughs> exactly well I I have to say I'm particularly excited for today's topic because it's um the beginning of an ongoing conversation, uh, not not just here on the podcast, right? But for the church in the United States. So I wonder um, if you want to start us off by just launching. What what is the topic? Why does it matter? And what's behind it all? Because it's a lot more than just one episode of our podcast, right? That we're yeah. jumping into.
1: Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So in the past, over the past couple of years during, obviously through Lent, we've been doing the lexios on the Sunday readings and we carried through the Easter season. But this year we decided not to um, because of this initiative that I'm going to reveal right now that is um, maybe some of our listeners have heard that the the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops, the USCCB is launching uh, a three-year uh, Eucharistic Revival initiative. I don't know a, a national Eucharistic revival. I guess is what they're calling it in the U.S. Um, beginning this June um, on the solemnity of Corpus Christi of the Body and Blood of Christ. That, that's June nineteenth. It's what the is it the second or third Sunday after Pentecost? I always forget. I know it's there's Holy Trinity. I just forget the order. It doesn't matter. In the middle <laughs> in the middle of June this year, it's a three year initiative that's going to culminate um, with a a Eucharistic Congress like a huge conference in July of 2024 um so i guess it's 2 years 22 23 yeah whatever that that time frame in indianapolis um i guess congresses and like these big gatherings were much much more regular or prominent in the church and days days by days that's not even proper english but before uh, but the last eucharistic kind of congress took place in philadelphia in 1976 so it's been a while um, so, uh, we're in, and sort of inspired by this, um, by this initiative that the, the U S bishops are launching. We thought, well, why don't we look at the Eucharist over the six weeks, right? one, two, three, four, six weeks of six Sundays of Easter, um, to sort of get ready for Corpus Christi to get ready for this, this launch with, um, of, of the Eucharistic revival. One of the things, this is like, I'm just thinking of this now, but um, one of the, on the feast of St. Dominic, which is the 8th of August, um, the entrance antiphon begins uh, with the words in medio ecclesiae," or in mm-hmm. the midst of the church. And that's sort of at the Dominican kind of heart, right, uh, of of what we do. We're in the midst of the church, preaching the truth of the gospel in the church. So it, it's kind of a natural thing for us to kind of take up too, that the church is focusing on this. So we're going to focus on it a little bit, at least for these coming weeks. So that's what's coming up. It's exciting. Um, but I think begs the question, like, why? Why is the church
0: emphasizing this? Right. Um, right. You know, I not so. Right. And in Philadelphia, you know, just to roll back the clock, uh, I I heard a couple of stories recently about, uh, you know, from people who were there at that Eucharistic Congress. John Paul II actually appeared side by side with Mother Teresa at that gathering in 1976. That was before his election, right? So he was Cardinal Carol Voitiwa. Wow which is really incredible to think like, Oh, you know, here are these two great saints of the modern world. And they were together in Philadelphia at the last national Eucharistic Congress that we had in America. Uh, and I, I, I want to speak to the, you know, a little bit what you were hinting, the, the importance of these big events, because, you know, I can, I can easily hear naysayers saying, Oh, this is just a, just a random party and a kind of one-off thing. What, what does this actually do for the church? Well, I, I think, uh, we've seen the evidence of what these gatherings do. I mean, one that I would point to in the United States, right, is World Youth Day in Denver, um, which, uh, you know, took place before I, you know, I was really active in the church since I was so young. But uh, the the results, the results of World Youth Day in Denver, uh, I think have been clear, animating the life of the church, not just of the particular Archdiocese of Denver, but for young people in America. Or World Youth Day in Toronto is another one that the kind of generation just above us uh talks about um it, so i've i've heard from these other gatherings and seen in my own life from world youth day in krakow in poland in 2016 during the extraordinary jubilee year of mercy and uh, the, the the results of these gatherings and i think there's something to be said for bringing people together in a time when we're so fragmented and isolated um i think it's not only prophetic but necessary right like the pain of these last couple years has been a church that has has focused um just since the, the the renewal of the second vatican council a church that's focused on the liturgy and then to suffer these last few years of COVID, not being able not being able to gather to say no we're going to get together and we're going to get together as many people as we can basically at this eucharist yeah. congress and not just in that one event but many events right throughout dioceses and parishes in the united states so over this over these next years um i think is really key okay but to your question i i kind of hijacked where you where you wanted to go right to, to just ask that question why i started to answer it in the, the fragmentation of covid but there's an an a doctrinal importance don't you think here too
1: yeah I, this probably i mean we could i don't know if we needed it's good to have kind of survey data and i guess you can trust survey data only as far as you can manipulate survey data but it's <laughs> helpful can be helpful um but in two this i think this is what inspired the first thoughts of it and i think uh bishop robert Barron was the first to kind of make um what a, a, a plea a petition to the u.s bishops that something needed to be done about the eucharist and and the catholics because in 2019 there was a study um conducted by Kara, which is uh well i think
0: that I th- I thought the big one was the Pew Survey in 2019.
1: Oh, maybe it was the Pew Survey. Yeah, but there okay, have been su- there have be been right. subsequent surveys. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, the Pew Survey, right? The Pew Study is it Pew Survey or Pew Study? Pew I always survey, just called yeah, Pew. Survey. Yeah, whatever. Um, Pew Research that, Yeah, that found that only about one third of Catholics agree that the Eucharist is the body and blood of Christ, which is staggering. Um, now we could say like, well, what does that? what is it? What constitutes a Catholic in this um, in this in this poll? Is it somebody who never goes to church? Maybe do do Sunday church goers. What would the number look like? I don't know. I have no clue. But it's that sort of like is a moot point. It doesn't matter um, that that one third of, of people, let's say, I don't know exactly how the question was phrased. One third of people who identify as Catholic, who call themselves Catholic. Uh, agree that the Eucharist is the body and blood of Christ. And that's an interesting thing too, because the word agree stands out for me because it's not an option. <laughs> you know, This isn't mm, like, right. I can be Catholic and not believe this, um, or like I can, you know, that you know what I mean, right? Like this is a doctrinal right. dogmatic teaching of the church coming from Christ himself in revelation. Like it's it's not a disputed point uh, for Catholics. So it's all the more, I only mentioned that because it's all the more staggering that 66% of Catholics do not believe in the real presence in the Eucharist. Um, it's wild, it's wild. So there were pleas made, um, at, by bishops, uh, I think led initially by Bishop Barron, um, to like do something on a mass scale as father Patrick was describing, you know, to bring the church's focus to, to the Eucharist, which as we'll talk about in the weeks coming um, on these other episodes on the Eucharist, which the church identifies as the source and the summit of the Christian life. Without the Eucharist, where do we begin? And without the Eucharist, where are we going? So it's it's essential, you know, it's essential. So it makes sense understanding the sort of the issue uh, that there would be attention given to it to recatechize, catechize, to revitalize, to renew our belief in the eucharist to renew our faith in the eucharist but more most importantly to renew our relationship with christ in the eucharist so um that's what's hopefully going to happen that's what's hopefully
0: going you know gonna come together right and i think ultimately what's what's at stake here is uh, is that you know the language of the survey is important and i understand of course how surveys are phrased impact the results in very important ways and especially when you're thinking about something as precise as Catholic theology because we have 2,000 years of critical reflection to figure out how exactly to articulate this mystery I understand that that maybe more people could believe in the mystery than the survey reflects uh, you know of course that's a possibility but I think we have to admit we have a problem that mm. that we have Catholics who, do, who don't who don't understand aren't themselves confident in their articulation of the eucharist you know that that for me would be one metric right um, it do, if you really understand something you could explain it to someone else how many catholics understand eucharistic teaching the eucharistic teaching of the church with the kind of confidence that could allow them to explain to someone you know a passerby, someone that knows nothing about catholic culture what we understand about the eucharist uh, and, and i think we would have to say that that number would be very low um, the, the the number of people, the number of even Sunday masculine Catholics that feel like they could explain the Eucharistic mystery with confidence. And I think too, we have to ask the question, and that this is really I think this is where the, the revival is headed, right? It's not just about teaching people to phrase the doctrine correctly. You know, this isn't this isn't just about getting people to recite Aquinas on Transubstantiation, even though of course I think that's one of the most important articulations of the mystery the church has, and that was re and represented to us with confidence by Paul VI in a very important way after the Second Vatican Council, that transubstantiation is a, is a particular way and the, the, the best way to articulate the, this change and the best way to articulate what the Eucharistic means. But, but that's not the point. We're not just teaching people how to articulate a doctrine with clarity and confidence, but, but asking the question, are, are, are our people... Are we as an American Catholic Church living the Eucharistic mystery to its fullness? And you know, when we're asking that question, you know, <laughs> I think we have to we have to be honest and say, um, we are not doing so hot. And that's why that the call, the call here, the invitation of the bishops is so important. So I'm wondering, could you say a little bit more about the mission of the revival? You know, again, that it's not just a, a kind of dogmatic project, but that there's more at stake here.
1: Yeah, the U.S. bishops have identified like a one line mission statement, which is helpful because it's concise and you know what's like, what it's about, where we're aimed. And I think that is is precisely where we can find what Father Patrick is talking about. Right. So the mission of this National Eucharistic Revival is just simply this to renew the church by enkindling a living relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ in the Holy Eucharist. To renew the church by enkindling a living relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ in the Holy Eucharist. Um, yeah, that in so many ways, that begins with faith and some sort of understanding doesn't, you know, we all don't have to be theologians to understand the, the teaching of the Eucharist. But in, but as as human beings, as we're made in the image of God, and perhaps you'll hear this in future episodes when we talk about the Eucharist, but this, this sort of that love follows knowledge, we have to know something in order to love it. Um, but both for that living relationship that requires both our head and our heart, not simply mm-hmm. just Having like good catechesis on the Eucharist, but also loving, desiring, willing the Eucharist. It's a both and, um, and and this is precisely what the U.S. bishops are are after and proposing for the church here in America too. Not just to like produce pamphlets on the Eucharist, because in a way, like who cares um, if if people can simply um, like recite. The catechism on the eucharist i think i think what father patrick was saying about being able to articulate the truth in some ways an important thing but the and and no i'm not so i'm not picking apart father patrick i'm just driving home this point that that like in the end our knowing what and who the eucharist is 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 for the sake of that living relationship uh, we're not trying to just get better test scores on like a confirmation exam you know or that sort of thing We're, we're we want the bishops want us to re be sort of like could we say like reintroduced to christ in the eucharist to have our lives again centered on that source and summit um but the way they, the the sort of vision right they have a mission and a vision the vision um which i don't know i read it the first time and i was just kind of like hmm but then i i read it as i was thinking about it i liked it a bit more so the vision. As the bishop states, a movement of Catholics across the United States healed, converted, formed, and unified by an encounter with with Jesus in the Eucharist, and sent out in mission for the life of the world. The first thing that was kind of like "Hmm, a movement, like it sounds kind of like political in ways, like we're gonna we're gonna create a movement. But I think that's the right word, you know? Mm -hmm. Why? Because like the faith isn't static; it's a dynamic thing, and we could think about like conversion as a movement of mind and heart towards Christ. So I, I I actually really like that. I really like that. I don't know what you think, Father, but kind of like this list of things, but that it's like, it's the gospel, healed, right. converted, formed, unified, and then sent. Um, but it's a movement. It's really a dynamic
0: kind of reality. I don't know what you think about that. I remember a- asking a priest uh, that that I really respect, a senior priest in, in the order, what his favorite verse of the scriptures was. And uh, it, it, he chose, know words at the end of saint matthew's gospel i i will be with you always even until the end of the age right which is just such a such a beautiful such an extraordinary verse and i i think that if we recognize that that is true that christ is with us and christ is with us in the eucharist then that transforms the the whole horizon of life and in a way that's radically personal that i can go to jesus my lord and savior and meet him in the eucharist and that he is here ready to bear my sorrows and heal me that he's here ready to call me to a to greater perfection a greater holiness that'll transform my life um and, and that and that by 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 seeking him in the eucharist i'll be united more deeply to the rest of the christian community i mean this is an extraordinary claim um and it's radically personal this is very different than a you know, than a kind of program for institutional reform, you know, nobody's like fine tuning a communications campaign. It's not a bureaucratic story. That is not what is happening here. That, you know, the bishops are are proposing something much more radical, something much more brave as a point of fact, which is to to invite every Catholic to examine his or her conscience and to, and to meet the Lord more completely in the Eucharist. I mean, that's an amazing thing. And uh, yeah, go ahead. Father. I'm sorry. I was just
1: going to comment on the same that like, that last bit that for the life of the world um has sort of i don't know double meaning right because if we look at the world now um where we can we can rattle off all the ways by which the world is kind of like going to hell in a handbasket it seems like there's just so much wrong like there seems to be so much not just like actual death in the world though there is that but just like death of like the human soul the human spirit like it's just like that's right. You know, it seems to be decaying. The world needs um, this. The world needs this, but it's also life of the world. To you could think like you know that the eternal life, like where this leads. You know, it's, it's both. So, as Father was saying, like that that healing, that mercy, that personal relationship through this movement um, for the sake of like our lives, which is why Christ came and left us His body and blood, so that we might have life and have life to the fullest. You know, so that we might have joy and have peace and uh, you know all of these things, so it's it's really looking at that. Like I said initially, I was kind of like, "Well, this is kind of jargony. I don't know," but it's I think it's like spot on as as I think about it. So I don't know. Uh, I'm, I'm no, no, I that.
0: I firmly, yeah, I firmly believe that there's something very very deep, something very rich happening here, Father. I wonder, um, you know, if, if we could go uh, go a little bit. Uh, you know more personally into this uh, mm-hmm. when I was applying for Ooh, seminary uh, exactly when I was applying for seminary before I came to the Dominicans I was a college seminarian for my home diocese and and then uh, became a religious um, but but I was applying for seminary and I remember Bishop Darcy asking me well why why would you want to be uh, why would you want to be a priest and I gave some answer about doing good in the world and he said something like well why not just be a social worker and father uh, the, the the point father that Bishop Darcy was making was that he, there's something different about the life of the priest firstly because of what a priest is for and that there's a very deep connection between the life of the priest and the mystery of the Eucharist priests are priests are for the sacraments for the sacramental life in a really extraordinary way so I'm wondering if you might speak to ways that ways that the Eucharist has impacted your vocation if there's a kind of renewal in life that that you've experienced in coming to know the Eucharist, if I may be so bold. Mm, Yeah.
1: Gosh, getting getting a little vulnerable here, huh? Uh, Fine. Um, Yeah, you know, well, uh, just to comment to the, for, well, maybe it's not a comment, maybe it's my answer, but that we can see. the incredible, not just like now in the priest confecting the Eucharist at mass, but uh, the the incredible and intimate relationship between the priest and the Eucharist, even as Christ instituted the two sacraments together at the Last Supper, which, um, yeah, which which points to the reality that they're they're intimately linked. You know, you can't have obviously you can't have one with the other, but they're intimately linked. That the priest uh, brings the Eucharist in persona Christi in the person of Christ brings a sacrifice for the people, um, for, for, I guess in, in thinking about, uh, I guess where my relationship with the Eucharist stands out, at least in a way to answer your question. When I was thinking about the priesthood, when I was in college, I didn't go to college seminary, but I entered, uh, father Patrick and I both entered the novitiate right after we finished our, our undergraduate work. Um, and the the sort of first time, at least in hindsight, looking back, what I remember the first time that I thought about the priesthood was at at Mass um, when Father uh, was elevating the host at Mass. And it wasn't that the, the immediate thing that struck me wasn't that I thought I want to do that or I want to be a priest, but was the first time that I ever kind of considered the priesthood in itself, or for the sake Mm. of the priesthood. And that sort of stuck out in my mind, one as kind of a a moment in my life where the priesthood first kind of came on to my mind. And then it was from there that I thought, you know, that the thought didn't go away and kind of was the spark of considering a vocation. But um, I've also always thought of that moment as with respect to the relationship between the Eucharist and the priesthood um that it was you know in the context of the mass in the sacrifice in the offering of the oblation to the father um that christ um as best as i can tell for what it's worth that christ um like i don't i don't know how better to say but like spoke to me moved me um Mm -hmm. to to see him in in the eucharist and in the priesthood in in a way that i had never considered before um so that drove me to spend a lot of time in that chapel. I went to Marist College in Poughkeepsie, New York, and that drove me to spend a lot of time in that chapel before that altar and before that tabernacle. So, you um, know, in a, in a way that was a, a renewal, I think, you know, at, in just in the presence of the Eucharist. Um, of course, there have been others along the way, but that one stands out as kind of a preeminent kind of point in my life. So. That's all. That's all that you are going to get out of me, by the way personal information, <laughs> Father Patrick. So you did your best, and, you and got it's a here, bit, and but... it's here
0: for the world. I, yeah. I, you know, in 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 my life uh, as a teenager, uh, one thing that was really great about um, my experience growing up was I went to a lovely parish, and as a teen, um, a couple of our young uh, priests in succession started a Sunday night mass, and then after that Sunday night mass, one of them began um, to reintroduce Eucharistic adoration. Mm-hmm. which was not a, a practice that had been kept up in my parish at that time. And for me, that was really the, the first moment of serious reflection about what I believed in the Eucharist. Cause I would, I would describe myself before that as a kind of well catechized, but unreflective person about the nature of the Eucharist. And because he did this, my mother of course said we were going to stay and pray in adoration. Um, and because I was there, I thought, well, I'm not just going to sit here. Um, I'll serve. You know, the, the the parish priest invited me to help him serve benediction, and it, it was in in that that particular uh, that particular service uh, as as an altar boy, when this young priest reintroduced Eucharistic adoration to my home parish that I began to take seriously. Okay, a priest is something more than a nice community leader. Uh, that there that there is something great going on that that the spiritual mysteries of. And for me. Uh, that that really that really was lasting you know that wasn't a one-off thought but that that became something that that was true that i could really cling to uh, in, in my life and and which i've pursued a, as my vocation yeah
1: in future in a future episode we're going to talk about devotion to the eucharist but it's worth mentioning uh maybe this too i remember somebody saying i don't know who it was but i remember somebody saying that the most dangerous thing that somebody could do and is is go to adoration. because jesus is going to win
0: i love that oh that is
1: great you're you know the most dangerous thing to do is to go to adoration because you know to spend time before the blessed sacrament to spend time with our lord because jesus is going to win you know he's his his whole existence (laughs) we could say is to is to save is to draw people to himself and when you're when we're before him in the eucharist when we're before him body blood soul and divinity like it's gonna win he's gonna he's gonna have the he's gonna draw your heart and it's it's a beautiful kind of thing and it works i mean there's so many hearing people talk about their relationship with the eucharist and how it sort of renewed and revitalized their spiritual life and their relationship with christ and uh, as as a moment as moments of healing and mercy and tenderness with with christ um there there's so many themes in those individual and personal stories mine father patrick's probably you all who are listening other people that are that are similar right the way that christ just wants to love, but also these beautifully unique moments and encounters that like i mean we yeah that that nobody knows but christ and and you or just Christ himself, you know so there it's there's a real beauty and profundity to to it all, so the hope is that over the next few years in different ways as the as the u s bishops lay out their there's sort of program for renewal on a, 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 not a universal, on a national level, um, on diocesan levels, parish levels, um, that, that there would be renewal in the church and in our, in our own lives. Um, I think it's important when we talk about the sacraments and the Eucharist being one of them, that, that the sacramental life is, is aimed at the Eucharistic life, which is one of the seven sacraments, of course. The other six sacraments prepare us in, in ways to receive Christ in the Eucharist, to be united to him um but but all of that exists like the sacramental economy the existence of the seven sacraments and how they work and other grace affects us exists because of what we've already spoken about a little bit that Christ wants to have a relationship with us with you um so that now as the as the bishops are rolling out this revival i mean the question kind of stands like um you know what what are ways that we can enter into that? What are ways that we can sort of take stock of our relationship with the Eucharist, whether that's, what do we know about the Eucharist? You know, do I, do I understand what the church teaches? Have I, should I crack open the catechism? Should I take a double check? Should I listen to god explaining more? Maybe, maybe not. That's less reliable (laughs) than the catechism, but like, what ways am I going to feed my mind? You know, what ways am I going to feed my heart to, to get to know, um, to get to know Christ in the Eucharist? How can I, my, or how, Ooh, English, how might I better prepare for the reception of the Eucharist during Mass? Hmm. How might I better participate in Mass? You know, these the these things are like questions because part of it, part of I think what remains is sort of like, okay, the bishops are having this revival and they're going to have these things and they want me to have this relationship with Christ. But like, where, how, like, how do I begin? But asking these sort of questions is is the place to begin. Like, what do I know about the Eucharist? How do I... How is the Eucharist part of my spiritual life? How do I go to mass? How do I participate in mass? You know, these sort of things are, are just little starting points. What resources are out there, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But questions worth asking, questions worth, you know, I, you know, challenging ourselves on, you know, to, to get pre- to prepare ourselves to, to know Christ better in the Eucharist, to, to do those sort of things. So um, I think that, right. that the renewal is great, but it's also a challenge, you know, That's a right. good challenge of like, what are we going to do? What are we going to do about it?
0: Yeah, that's right. No, it's, it's ultimately putting into our lives, uh, the words of the old hymn, um, sweet sacrament to the, you know, to the eye door, how may I love thee more and more? Um, uh, and, and just, say, just saying to ourselves, how is it that I can make my life more Eucharistic? So, so coming up, what we're going to, what we're going to open up, what we're, what we're proposing to you is this series of episodes where we consider renewal as we have today, you know, focusing on the, the kind of question and laying out something of what we think it means, uh, We're going to look at the doctrine of the eucharist Um, we're going to look at change both of the species but but transformation of self we're going to consider the liturgy we're going to consider our own eucharistic devotion what are those practices those uh those um benchmarks those hallmarks of a catholic eucharistic life and ultimately we're going we're going to consider the great grace that's offered by the eucharist which is the grace of union about being brought together in Christ. Um, We also want to make sure that we invite everyone, uh, listeners, if you're familiar with us, if you're familiar with the podcast, you know too that uh, in the summer of 2022, this summer in July, we're hosting a retreat dedicated to this contemplation of the Holy Eucharist. Um, The retreat is titled The Holy Eucharist, Sacrament and Sacrifice. It's going to take place in July, from July 29th to July 31st in Huntington, New York, um, it's going to be a serious thing, and I'm very excited about it. We're going to study together a, a text on the Eucharist and and really, really go deep um, in, into the mystery that is present before us. Um, so to, we invite you to check that out. Visit our website, org, for more information about that retreat. Um, Father Jacob Bertrand, any final thoughts as we wrap up here on the Eucharist and on the Eucharistic revival?
1: Yeah, I think it's just an exciting I'm excited for
0: it so I'm going to pronounce
1: it as something exciting. I'm excited to see great. um yeah what the what the bishops propose as you know our our shepherds as our as our sort of chief pastors throughout throughout our diocese throughout the country what they propose and what they have on offer and anticipating this congress uh Eucharistic Congress in the summer of 2024. I'm excited for our retreat this summer. I'm really looking forward to that. Um but also to see how, uh, maybe it, it certainly won't all be seen, but to see how the Holy Spirit is working here, um, it's just exciting that like we can take the, and as we should be take, you know, one of this the central pieces of our faith seriously um, mm. and devote time to it and devote time to knowing Him and loving Him and and adoring Him and being devoted to Him in the Eucharist. So, yeah, that's my final thought. I'm I'm just kind of yeah pumped to see what goes. What, what's going to happen in the coming months and, and years ahead in the church.
0: Amen. It's a great wrap up. It's a great place to leave it. Uh, thanks to all of you who support our podcast. If you'd like to tithe to our work, check us out at patreon.com slash You can follow the podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, like subscribe, leave a 25 star review. I think you can, do that. You can only leave a five star review. We'd be grateful for that. Visit as we said, to check out information on our upcoming events, especially this retreat, especially this retreat.